All right, welcome back to another episode of Royals Review Radio. My name is Alex Duvall. I'm the host of this thing. Um, we are not joined by my co-host, uh, Jeremy Greco, tonight, but I am joined tonight by the editor-in-chief of Royals Review Radio, or I'm sorry, editor-in-chief of Royals Review, Max Reaper. Uh, Max, we just got done with the 2021 SB Nation off-season simulation. I want to thank you publicly now for hosting that that is one of my favorite little events we do in the off season i have a great time being a part of it every year um so thank you for putting that on um how, how did everything go on your end and, and more generally how are you doing tonight? well thanks for those yeah thanks for those kind words uh you know it just started i want to say it was like seven or eight years ago maybe and i don't know if it's that long but uh you know, i was always just curious like uh what would happen if like you know fans we always come up with these ideas of like Oh, I would do this. I think that's where it came from. It's like, I always see like fans say, Oh, the Royals should make this trade where we trade, you know, Whit Merrifield for like three of the top prospects on the Yankees or whatever. Uh, and I, you know, the response is always, well, like the Yankees would never do that. Um, so I want to see like, what would happen if fans could deal with other fans? Like what kind of deals could they come up with just out of my own curiosity? And it's kind of evolved into what it's become where I have, you know, we have 30 fans that, that take uh, control of these teams and, um, they work out some really interesting, clever trades. I think we had some really interesting ones for the Royals this year. Uh, and then, of course, we also see, you know, how, how, high, how high the bidding gets on free agents, which sometimes it seems a little outrageous. But then when the players actually sign, it's for like pretty close to what they, they, they went for in our sim. And then we say, OK, well, that's kind of, you know, you know, general managers, I think, are kind of prone to the same um, kind of psychological, you know, uh, uh, things that you know fans would be susceptible to so it's a, it's a really interesting experiment i'm glad you had a good time doing it i think you do a great job as always uh matthew and sean as well sean newkirk um who's also here on the show tonight uh so yeah i had a great time doing it sean ran the angels i ran the white Sox. matthew lamar who may be joining us here in a bit um if we can get him on here ran the kansas city royals team um, and if you're listening, Max is, he plays GM, he plays agent, he plays, uh, I play God. Agent. he plays God <laughs> of the simulation, basically. Uh, Sean, G- general manager of the simulated Los Angeles angels. You had quite the load. I actually ran the angels last year. And I think I traded like Joe Adele to the Royals along with, I, that they have their books are such a mess that you were mm. right. You tweeted it out. You're like, I've got a lot of work to do mm-hmm. after doing them last year. I think Max actually, one of the teams he presented to me was the angels again this year. And I was like, yeah, nah, I'm not doing that again because they are a mess. And, mm. you know, I think a lot of times as Royals fans, we always complain about not having the big money to spend. And after watching Hunter Dozier get a big contract last year, I think, no, nah, I'm just kidding. We're not, we wouldn't be in the exact same spot as the angels, but, Sometimes not having that big money means you can't get tied down to four awful contracts at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was, it, you know, they've got some, thankfully the pool con- ah, thankfully the pool holes contract is gone, which is really nice. Upton comes off the books too, but it is kind of a mess. And there's some good talent on that team. Obviously Mike Trout's on that team um, and Otani. Um, and so there's some stuff you could still work with. We're known. So there's some stuff you could still work with, but yeah, it is kind of trying to unweave this, Oh gosh. Yeah. This kind of Rubik's cube of, you know, really talented players, some kind of scrub players. Um, and then like zero pitching, zero prospects. They have one top 50 prospect in uh, Reed Detmers. And that's really about it. Um, and everybody else is fairly not very good of a prospect. So it's kind of like, man, how do you balance winning now? We can't trade much. So, um, yeah, work with what I have. And, um, I usually play 
designated hitter for or pinch hitter, I guess, uh, for any team that just needs a GM. And I've done them all throughout the years. And uh, Max has been cursing up to ask me back every year. And, um, you know, hopefully I haven't embarrassed embarrassed him too much. But it's kind of been fun to make make some friends along the way, some folks that you get to interact with every single year, um, even as you're changing teams and seeing them always on the same team. So, And Max does a lot of work, so it's awesome. And so does Rob. Yeah, Rob Huff. You mentioned the, the the friends you make and the relationships you build. I can imagine – okay, so there's a woman named Lori that runs the San Diego Padres team every mm-hmm. year. Um, and last year I was trying to – um, deal with her as with, with the angels. I was trying to grab, I think it was a reliever, like maybe like Kirby Yates at the time. Like mm. I can't remember the specifics of it, but she obviously was like dug in on how the Padre on her Padre. Yeah. So it, it, I don't want to talk too much about the SIM yet. Let's, let's save that in case Matt comes on. I do want to talk about how it relates to the Royals and the AL central in the next few years. So um, without getting too much into the SIM part of it, I ran the white Sox, And as I was looking at the white Sox it actually spurred a series of articles I'm writing over at Royals farm report where I kind of look as if I'm a white Sox fan or a white Sox GM or whatever, when is my window? If I'm the twins, when is my next window? The tigers, the Mm -hmm. guardians and the Royals, when do the windows for these AL central teams pop up? And I was looking at the white Sox and they have to win now because the white Sox have no top 100 prospects, all of their talents is in the big leagues and they have a couple guys who have like debuted recently, like Garrett crochet is going to be there for a while. Louis, Louis Robert is on one of those team friendly contracts in baseball. Um, Michael Kopech's young Dylan Cease is young and controllable. Like they have some controllable pieces, but they have nothing in the way of prospects. And it was really hard for me as, as the white Sox GM in the SIM to improve on the team without spending a ton of money. Uh, I think I was able to keep the payroll below 180 mil, but it was really hard for me to add pieces because they don't have anything to give up. Like I, I can't remember who I was trying to ask for, for help. And they're like, yeah, we're looking for top 100 help. Like we really don't, you know, we're not really wanting to just make a move to make a move. And so it hurt the white Sox ability to, to make those moves. Whereas with, when I was talking about, um, I wrote about the twins today over at Royals farm report, they have some top 100 prospects who just arrived and a couple more on the way. So, when you're looking at the White Sox window, it is when right now at all costs, because this window is not going to be open for more than like three, four more years, because the, unless they just go spend a ton of money, which they can do, they, they don't have the the horses and the miners. Yeah. Twins, on the other hand, are the complete opposite. I don't know how they win more than like 70 games tops in 2022, but they've got some young talent. Their window is I think a little bit behind the Royals, but it's at least coming. The Tigers and the Royals, I think are very similar. I think the Guardians are, are kind of in, in purgatory right now. So let's talk about the Royals really quick. Before I bring up the question that I posed on Twitter, I really want to, I really quickly want to get your guys' thoughts. Are we all on the same page that by 2023, the Royals need to be making significant strides toward a playoff push? Excellent. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's probably, uh, yeah, that's accurate. I think, yeah, but by then, that would have been like, that would be what, 18, 19, 20, 1, 2, 3. That would be like year six of the rebuild. So if they haven't made uh, a, a run, if they aren't in the wild card standings, uh, you know, t- first couple teams in the wild card standings by, by August uh, in any of those years, then, then something has gone wrong. 
Yeah, I, I, I mostly agree. And they're also, if they can accomplish that, um, it's, it's, it's a fairly good job. And you, part of it, they, if they can accomplish that, that's great. Um, because, um, you know, even though they had that trough, you want to call it the hundred loss seasons, um, they never went full on rebuild. Right. So if you can accomplish a de facto rebuild through like a soft rebuild is, and I even hesitate to use the word soft rebuild with them because the Royals really haven't done any tanking. Right. They, yes, they've had bad teams. Part of that, it's a little bit ironic because they've been bad because they drafted poorly. Um, so it's not as if they like sold everybody away. And it's like, okay, we got to just bottom out, right? Like the, the you know, 2011 Astros or 12 Astros. They said, okay, um, we'll try to still be competitive on the field. They weren't, um, but they never did the teardown. So if you can accomplish a rebuild, a, 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 a soft rebuild at least, um, without actually trying to rebuild, I mean, that's a pretty good task. Um, so, you know, I, I think if, I think by 23, that's when you're really going to have to, um, show something, right? Um, because, you know, at, at that point, everybody will be up, you know, not that no offense to the current prospects, but they'll all be up by now. And they'll take some strong drafting or strong developing to kind of keep that pipeline going. Um, and if it doesn't happen, then, you know, you're, you're stuck. Agreed. Um, I also think that, that the opening of the window in 2023 really gives us more of the idea that by 2025, they need to be in the in the middle of their best seasons of this core because they're not going to be able to retain Bobby Witt Jr. and Nick Prado and MJ Melendez and all the pitchers forever. And so if you can't then achieve your championship or playoff window in here, what, seven, eight of a rebuild, like things have gone wrong and we're, we're talking about probably a regime change definitely at some point, right? So Let's assume that the Royals championship window is somewhere in the 2024, 2025 seasons. Well, if you look at the poll that I posted on Twitter, it says, if you can make one move, the, the Royals brass comes to you and they're going to allow you to make one move um, this offseason, what would, what would it be in your opinion? What would you choose? Which option? Option number one is get an all-star caliber center fielder for the next three seasons. Option number two is acquire in some way, and, and I specified that you don't get to know any more information. Acquire in some capacity a number two type starting pitcher. So I'm not going to expect them to go out and get an ace. But a front-of-the-line starting pitcher, 190, 200 innings, two-and-a-half, three-war um, every year of the contract, and put them at the top of the rotation for the young starters. Option three is trade a controllable big leaguer for prospects. And then option number four is enter the next season as is. And I think what I, I I did my best to structure the options in such a way that it would reveal to me how Royals fans see this team. 57% of the vote all went to B, go get a starting pitcher. Here's my thing with that response is, if you believe that the Royals are going to win, not in 2022, but in two, three years, I don't know how starting pitcher can be the answer. Because if you're looking for guys to just go eat innings, like because they gotta they gotta pitch them, right? What's nine times 162 is like 1,400 some innings. You gotta get them. But they have Mike Miner, they have Brad Keller, they have guys who have been there. It's easy to get cheap free agent pitchers who can go out there and Irvin Santana their way through 80 innings in a year. And then you have a ton of pitching prospects that can eat up innings. So 
this season, I'm not really worried about starting pitching at the, at the top of the rotation. I know there's been some idea that we could go get a top of the line pitcher, and I'm not necessarily opposed to that. I'm all for when you have when you have good pitching, go get more. Um, I just don't know that I'm ready to spend the resources necessary, money or prospects, that it's going to take to bring in a starting pitcher this year. I also, as much as I've been on the Starling Marte train, and I really do think it'd be a great signing. Like, I don't really care what happens while he's here. I think Starling Marte would be a fantastic addition to this team, full stop. Anyway, as much as I love that idea, if you gave me these four options, I'm taking C. I'm still trying to flip a Nicky Lopez, a Whit Merrifield, trade one of these guys to acquire something. Maybe you have to trade Brad Keller. Maybe you got to trade Brady Singer. But go get that that last piece of the puzzle, which I still think is probably your center fielder long-term. But go get that last piece of the puzzle and bring it in because I think that window, like we said, is 2023-2024. I I am confused by the number of people who think starting pitcher is the answer. And I really would like to get your guys' take on this because I think – the 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 answer that you think starting pitcher is the answer is a reflection of where you think this team is. Yeah, uh, I'll chime in first. So yeah, I mean, I think and just and apologize, listeners. I'm gonna if you don't have the poll pulled up, go pause it and go pull it up because I'm gonna refer to the poll. Um, so if you look at A and B, those two choices, you're putting pressure on yourself in the sense of you've defined a timeline almost, right? Particularly with this question, and and I know Alex, you didn't purposely question it necessarily this way, but you said through 2024, which means you've now opened your window or you've attempted to open your window. Your window might not truly be open, but you've now put a deadline or a rough deadline, call it 2025, 26 even, but you've started your kind of timeline clock, really. Um, Same thing with B. Uh, You know, there's no reason for you to go spend assets, be it free agency or trade. And I think there's a big difference between those two when it comes to B. Um, But either one's close to the same in a sense of whichever one you do, you've kind of started that clock again as well. Um, I think for me, it's C or D. Um, I couldn't really choose between the two. I, I see the benefits of both. I see the benefits of C, um, flipping an asset, right? If the Royals aren't really ready for contention. And I, I think there's an argument to be made there. And I, I would make that argument that we're still a few years away. Um, that's the one that makes the most sense, right? Cause you're not ready to compete. Um, and you've certainly got some assets that are there that might not be around, um, in, you know, three, four years from now. Um, otherwise it's, yeah, D is also very good. The inter 2022 with Ross Raz is, I mean, I, I think we're still in that wait and see moment. Um, fortunately the middle infield does have a little bit of, uh, the good problem to have, right. Um, where they, they've got to figure out Mondesi, Witt Jr., Merrifield, um, Lopez. I've got to figure out that dynamic who's going to play where, which is again, a good problem to have. Um, but for the first time, and I, and I think I mentioned this on the last podcast I was on, but really the first time the Royals don't have playing time to just freely give away in a sense of really no spots to fill. Yeah. The outfield's got a bit, but the rotation's full. Um, most of the infield, uh, Probably all the infield is full, depending on what you do with Dozier. And then you've got a, a spot or two, depending on Benatendi, um, or like if Mondesi moves to center. But effectively, a lot of the lineup and the rotation, and even maybe part of the bullpen, too, is, is full. You, you, you've you got you've got playing time and guys to give it, as opposed to rolling out right Irving Santana for 180 innings just because, shoot, who the heck are you going to put out there? So to me, C or D, I think, makes the most sense. Max? Yeah, I tend to agree. Like, I think I, I know it's not popular or sexy, to say D, just kind of stay the course, but I kind of feel like, you know, you shouldn't be making – the only two times you really want to make a lot of moves is 
when you're tearing it all down and doing a full rebuild, or you're kind of on the precipice of a championship, you kind of need to make that extra push to put the team over the edge. I don't feel like the Royals are in either of those two spots. I think they're kind of, they're a boat that's kind of headed towards the right direction and you can do things to get there a little bit faster, but I think you, that there's some risk involved with that. Like you trade, make a trade for a good young controllable player. You're going to have to give up some, some minor league prospects, which maybe that works out for you. Maybe, you know, it's not, not anyone worth a hill of beans. Maybe it's, it's someone that ends up being an all-star for someone else. Uh, you make even a free agent. Um, I think comes with some risk. I mean, obviously that's, that's money that could be spent on other ways and it's not my money. So, um, you know, I, I'm happy to spend John Sherman's money, but um, there's a finite amount of it. And, um, you know, I do think owners should spend more, but you know, we can't expect him to just uh, come up with an immense amount of money. So, uh, you know, and I don't think they're like a one free agent away or a couple of free agents away. I think, you know, they, they're, they, they really need Bobby Wood Jr. to be a all-star caliber player. They need probably one of the pitchers they have, right now to kind of emerge as that number two type starter. Uh, and then a couple of the other guys to be pretty solid, solid big leaguers. So um, I think we're like a year away. I mean, I think a year from now we'll have a better idea. Bobby Wood Jr. would have had his, his rookie year. I think by then, I think Nick Prado would have probably gotten a significant amount of at bats by then. I think we'll have a better idea what we have with Singer and Lynch and Coar Hernandez and Bubich. Um, so I think we'll have a much better idea next year and maybe that's the time to go make a big push for a player um and and i think that would make more sense that at that time if i can add in i and i wonder too um if you look at if you look at c um actually i guess be the end for summer on i was thinking there's probably an analogy to the will myers trade right the 2013 where it was really a surprise i don't remember the royals record in 13 i think it was like 78 and something maybe they were below oh, you mean the year before they were like the 70 yeah, they're 72 and 90 the year before they made the right. Okay, okay. Yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah, because they were kind of almost in the playoffs uh, in the end of the season and kind of fell out of it in 13. Right, right. But that's what I'm thinking of. Like, you can kind of force your window open, and maybe that's what they'll do if they do want to do that kind of Will Myers S trade. Um, you know, now you can argue Will. Uh, Will Myers versus Witt Jr. I think most people might take Witt Jr. I think it's actually close, but it's the same idea. You've got this elite prospect and they're not going to trade him. But all I'm saying is that, you know, they forced a window open in the in the past of trading kind of a, a big league name, a big name, excuse me, for um, like an ace. Um, so, you know, maybe they'll do that again. I doubt it, but just thinking of, hey, we're kind of on that similar timeline where something like that could kickstart something a little bit. I would say the big difference between that and now is that, in 2012, Eric Hosmer, Mike Mustaka, Salvador Perez, oh, yeah. Andy Duffy, yeah. they were all in the big leagues already. Yeah, good point. They were all yeah. contributing. Gary Collin, Gerard Dyson, all those guys had already had a year in the big leagues. And we didn't know how good they were necessarily. And some guys, Mike Mustakas wasn't very good at all. But um, they, those guys were up. It was a very young team in 2012 yeah, right. that was supplemented by some veterans. Right now, they don't have a young team. They have a, a lot yeah. of older hitters. And, we're you know, Wit Prado and Melendez hopefully will make that a much younger lineup next year. And the rotation is 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 and they're doing it a little bit differently than back then. Like back then, they're relying pretty much exclusively on, exclusively on hitters, and they didn't develop any much pitching. This time around, it's a lot of pitchers and a couple of hitters, um, and so it's a little bit different situations. But I agree, yeah, they could kind of uh, expand, you know, accelerate the timetable, and there may be some opportunities. I think uh, David Lesky's written about it. Um, you know, the Reds and the A's are obviously cutting costs. They have a lot of interesting pitchers, a couple of young outfielders that um, perhaps could be acquired. Um, I wouldn't be against that. I mean, I think if a trade opportunity opens up where someone wants to give you something for out of our Tomonese, 
I would listen to on MJ Melendez because uh, I don't know if he really has a spot on this team going forward. But um, I don't I don't know if I'd make a move just to make a move this this offseason. I don't think um, I wrote an article earlier earlier about a month ago about you know do the Royals need to make a splash this offseason? I don't think they do. So, but I think you know I can see other people disagreeing. I think the the benefit you get to adding a guy like Starling and, and I keep referring to Starling Marte cause he fits. And, and so let's, let's generally apply his type of player to any position on the field, adding a player like Marte, who's a all-star caliber player at a premium position. It, if the Royals had done that type of thing more often throughout this rebuild and just like been more willing to spend money, then I don't think it insinuates pressure, but like, like kind of like you implied Sean, by adding a guy like that, you imply pressure to the team because it's, it's something you don't do very often. It's like, like signing Jason Vargas and making it a huge announcement. Like we have a major announcement we're going to make. Like it implies pressure. You are, you are telling everyone, Hey, we don't spend this kind of money very often. So when we do, you know, we're, we're, we mean business. It's like, if you did this type of thing more often, then people wouldn't expect pressure. There's like, Hey, they have a bad team. They're going to put a good player out there, and they, they're they serious. They they really do want to be competitive as at every possible turn, even if they're only going to win 60 games. Um, they want to try to have the best players on the field. So I think you're right. I think the problem's twofold. I still just think with the pitching thing specifically, the Royals have so many different pitchers that I want to see get big league action this year. That I just it is it just shocked me how many people went down that road, knowing how many good pitchers this system has. Like I think a lot of anybody who follows us, which is not a very you know big account, knows. I mean we've been we've been talking about pitching for years, right? They know, and it's just interesting to me that that's the one people thought about. I get it because they weren't very good last year, but in that same token, Chris Bubich was really good in the second half. Um, Carlos Hernandez was really good in the second half. Hell, Mike Miner was really good in the second half. So I think this team has the pitching to get through another 2022 season. I'm actually on JJ Piccolo's side of this thing where I'm I'm all for beefing up the bullpen. I didn't give that option because beefing up the bullpen can mean like a lot of different things. It can mean we're ready to compete, our windows open, and we're going to fix the final broken piece of our roster. It can also mean we got a lot of young starters and we're going to put the best bullpen behind them possible so that if Jackson Coar goes out there, gives up four runs in five innings, it's not a guaranteed loss if the bullpen can hold it down behind them. Um, I mentioned this on the on another podcast last night. It kind of reminds me of like, uh, I think it was Kent Swanson who said, you know, when the Royals, well, I'm sorry, when the Chiefs signed Joe Tooney, um, he's like, you know, this, it, it kind of implied they were going to draft a rookie center. It's like, you know what? A, you know, a great benefit for a rookie center would be having the game's best left guard to his left hand side. Like it is possible for these, you know, smaller pieces to aid in the development of other players. And I think beefing up the bullpen is actually a really good way to help develop your starting pitchers in a year where coming off 2020, um, you know, it was kind of a lost season 2021. They still didn't get a full season's workload. I don't know that I expect all these guys to get a full season, 200 innings in, in 2022. Um, so adding a great bullpen can probably alleviate some of that. So I think there's a lot of ways they could go. I just thought that poll is tonight. I, I was trying to say without saying it, trying to get a gauge of where people thought that the Royals competitive window is. 
And after tonight's results, I don't know what exactly people are thinking. And not that they're wrong. I just don't know what the thinking is. If you, if, if you think the number one thing this team needs is more starting pitching, I just don't know that we see eye to eye about a, their team needs and B what this team's competitive window is. Matt, Matthew Lamar has joined us. Matt, you got any thoughts about the Royals window and how this team lays out in 2022? Hello. Um, I, you know, I think that this team has the potential to um, be really, uh, to be really good. I think um, that if you simulated the season a hundred times, they're probably going to miss the playoffs, you know, probably 90 times. Um, not to say that they'll be bad all, you know, 90 times, but they're probably going to miss the playoffs 90 times. Um, but, you know, for those other 10 times, like I think that um, the Royals are young enough and they've got enough of a mix um, uh of, of pitching and hitting, unlike, you know, Max, like you said, last, last time it was all hitting this time you've got a mix. Right. And so you don't have to hit on all of the hitters and you don't have to hit on all the pitchers. If you get a, you know, a mix of guys, that kind of makes it easier to fill in, you know, when you, when you need to and where you need to. So um, I think there's a possibility that the team can be, can be pretty good. I think beefing up the, the, you know, bullpen is, is a good idea. Um, And you know, I, I do think that there's uh, this, this season is going to be pretty fun because there's a non-zero chance that the team could just take off. Right. Um, you know, between Witt and Prado and Melendez um, or whoever they trade Melendez for, if they choose to go that route, you know, that's, that's the potential for, you know, much, much more interesting and much better team than one that was, you know, had guys like, I don't know, Gerard Dyson and Ryan O'Hearn, you know, soaking up a whole lot of plate appearances, you know what I mean? And um uh, th- I, it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens this year. Uh, certainly, um, we have you know could be a wide range of things. It's probably the widest range of outcomes um, in recent memory uh, this upcoming season, twenty twenty two. So it, it'll be interesting to see. It wouldn't be a true Royals review radio channel podcast if we didn't spend at least fourteen seconds talking about Ryan O'Hearn. R- Matt, we're going to get to the off-season sim here in just a few minutes the first thing you did and it, it cracked me up because the first thing you did was non-tender ryan o'hearn and <laughs> like one of the first things the san francisco giants did was give him a minor league deal that i laughed at like with a little emoji um i ryan o'hearn is still on this roster let's go through really quick max if you had to bet i'm giving you 10 bucks at even odds are you betting that ryan o'hearn is or is not on the opening day roster um, I'd have to check to see if he has options left next year, but um, I guess he'd probably clear them. So I would say there's probably like a 60% chance he's not on the roster next year. But I mean, I would have thought he'd be starting in right field in August, September this year. So there, there must be something there they like. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I, I think they'd have to move on at this point. Nick Prado's waiting in the wings. I don't think Nick Prado will be on the opening game roster, but um, it, 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 the time is ticking for Ryan O'Hearn. So your free $10 bet is on no. Yes. Okay. Sean? Uh, Max, he has, he, going into 2021, he had one option left. Um, oh, so I don't know if they burned out. it or not. So he, was in the, he did get sent to the minors. Was that from an injury or did he just, did they option him down? Hmm. Max I think, I think they optioned him because he was down there for like three weeks and he played the entire time. Yeah, he well, was optioned on May, back in May. 
Okay, well, there you go. So he has no options. Um, yeah, you know, gosh, that is a tough one. Um, I would say, I would say yes. If only because, if only because one, oh, yes. Okay, I will actually say yes, because Prado will not be on the opening day roster. Um, so by default, I think that's a winner. Now, if you ask me, does he make it till May? I, I'll, I'll say probably not, but because they will not have brought on the opening day roster, I don't know who the heck else is going to play first base because they're not getting rid of Dozier either. Um, and, you know, Witt's probably not going to be on the opening day roster either. Um, Carlos Santana, he's under contract still. Yeah, but yeah, no, I guess, yeah, no, you're right. But I don't know. I, I still think no. I, I, th- I think that they will not be in a roster crunch uh, on opening day. So I'm going to say yes, he'll be on the opening day roster. Matthew- Doesn't mean he'll survive, but he'll be on it. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I don't think he will be on the opening day roster. I think they will non tender him to get a 40 man spot. You guys are going to all owe me 10 bucks. I hope you guys However, however, I'm kind of splitting the baby here a little bit. I think that he won't be on the opening day roster. They will non tender him. Uh, he'll stay with the club. Um, and he will, be back later in the year when someone gets hurt um, and they'll put him on the 40 man roster and bring him up for, you know, run his corpse through the meat grinder one more time. If I had to actually lay the bet, I'm betting on yes, just so I win either way. Either oh, yeah. if he does, if he gets cut, I win. And if he doesn't get cut, then I win an extra 10 bucks, which is great. So, you know, All right, you know what's going to happen is he's, he's going to go to Japan and he, him and Ryan oh, McBroom yeah. are going to, have a go neck and neck all year for the home run title. It's going to be the, the battle of the Ryans. That would be great. I, I hope that happens. I hope for both of them that they both have successful. I, I know a guy personally who made millions of dollars pitching in Japan. He had a great time doing it. And I'm, I'm so happy for those people, but I hope Ryan O'Hearn gets to be one of them. Mm-hmm. On the other side of this break, we're going to talk about the SB nation off season simulation that Max puts together every year. Max and Rob put together every year. Uh, So we'll be right back on the other side of this break. Okay, so if you're not familiar with the SB Nation off-season sim, I'm going to try to boil it down in as few words as possible. Max and Rob, who runs the Cubs, um, he right? Is he the Cubs? um, Yeah, site manager. Okay, he's not the site manager, but he's a he's a Cubs fan. Gotcha. Okay, Max and Rob compile a, a list of every meaningful free agent, every player with options, like uh, like club options, mutual options, player options, and every roster with salary pools of, of every team, put it in a massive Google sheet, send it out, and then find 30 people to GM these fake teams. And so, like, Matthew ran the Royals, I ran the White Sox, Sean ran the Angels. And then on Sunday night, it's play ball. You can trade with other teams. You can sign free agents. You can do everything, not everything, most things that a real team would have to think about building a roster for your team for 2022. One of the first things that I did was pick up like options on Cesar Hernandez to play second base and on Craig Kimbrell to come back and play or to pitch for me. Ended up trading Craig Kimbrell. But the point is like you got to, Make decisions on options. You got to non-tender folks. You got to make sure you get everybody tendered. You got to make sure your positions are lined up right. You're you are playing faux GM of your spreadsheet team, 
um, there on the computer. So I want to I want to talk about the sim really quick and kind of how um, it, it it looks in terms of of optics because I think what we get from the sim is there's a there's a very classic like psychological piece of the human brain from millions of years of evolution is and oh my gosh i so i'm a kind of a psychology dork so when in squid game when they laid the 16 jerseys is it 16 or 12 16 is 12 16 12 whatever it is it's like 12 16 jerseys that are laid out um and they say everybody can pick their own number and like the first the middle four the middle eight or whatever those middle jerseys were go first and they're like, every, when, when things get uncomfortable, people like to hide in the herd. They like to hide in what's familiar. They like to try to, to hide in the average, right? Well, I think what we see from Major League Baseball GMs pretty frequently is hiding in the comfortable, hiding in what is known, hiding in the average, where if I'm, you know, Kansas City, there's almost no way that the Royals really trade on Hell's Zerpa. Like, I don't really see a world in which on Hell's Zerpa gets dealt um, this offseason for, for anything. I mean, I guess if Mike Trout became available, sure, but like reasonably, right? And when you're not attached to that thing and you can't hide in it and you can't hide in what you know, it's easier to trade them. It's easier to look at like the numbers and the real world potential values of players and move them for what makes sense for your team. And I think what Matt and I did, we made a trade. I think I traded him a right-handed pitching prospect and Andrew Vaughn, who's a first baseman slash left field. He's a hitter is what he is. Um, and he sent me Dylan Coleman, a reliever, on Hell Zerpa. And then Matthew, what was the other piece of that trade? I was minor. Oh, Mike Minor. I ate some money in order to to make this deal happen. So for for me, as as the White Sox GM, I'm looking at this thinking, you know what my team really doesn't have is young, controllable starting pitchers. We've got Lucas Giolito. We've got Lance Lynn. We've got Dallas Keuchel at the time. Um, we've got Dylan Cease, who had one good, really good year. Michael Kopech's been a reliever for most of his big league career, and so is Garrett Crochet. So after that, my pitching prospects were pretty weak. Andrew Vaughn is a really good prospect. Andrew Vaughn also is kind of blocked by a bunch of other guys that are currently in my lineup. So – Will the White Sox ever trade Andrew Vaughn? No, because it's it's the fear of being wrong. Did that trade make sense for both sides? I think so. I traded from a position of strength and, and, and bats in the lineup and got a couple of things that I really needed in terms of young, controllable pitchers and a veteran to eat some innings while we're at it. But I think it's really interesting that, like, as fans, we are so much more likely to move on from players of positions of strength to to benefit our teams both now and in the future than GMs ever would be. Yeah, and um, let me for for those listening, if if uh, Alex hasn't sold sold you on it yet um, on the idea of the sim, and you're thinking to yourself, oh man, this is just a bunch of you know random baseball fans making fake trades on the internet. Well, you'd be right about that, but. Um, <laughs> The, the cool thing about it is that there are 30 real people and you have a limited amount of time. It basically condenses the whole offseason down into two, two days. And a lot of the stuff gets done like in the first day. 
Um, and there are also, and what Max does is he runs, he's basically acts as the, the player's agent. So when you submit free agent bids, you submit bids to, um, to Max, who's acting as the agent. Um, and he's trying to get the best deal for all of the free agents. Um, and he's, you know, playing, playing people on, on the, uh, each other as far as you know bidding wars and that kind of thing the cool thing about this simulation and the thing that's not really um, you know replicable elsewhere where people are just saying yeah I want to trade this guy for this guy is that um, in the simulation it's run by all humans so there are 30 real people and all of them are trying to do what they want to do with their roster in the time allotted and in the you know space allotted uh, so if for instance if you have a need at first base and you are trying to sign, um, you know, Freddie Freeman. I don't know. I'm just putting that out there. He'll be a free agent. And you're trying to sign Freddie Freeman. Well, you know, Freeman might not sign first. So maybe you're working on some other trades to, to you know, to, to get it done, to find your first baseman. Um, but you have to figure out, okay, what's, what's the way that I want to uh, move forward and make my team better? And the thing about that is, you know, that, that perfectly replicates what happens in real life, which is GMs don't make this in a total, like a timeless, nothing void. Like GMs make decisions that affect other decisions further down the line. And I think what's really cool about the sim is you can kind of see, um, you know, if you have, if you ever get the chance to run the team, um, you know, I, th I think all of us have, you know, learned uh, from the process, something that we wouldn't really have, have learned elsewhere i mean like we can kind of know like yeah sure you got to wait to, for your free agent offer like you got to wait on that or make a trade um but to to do it in real time and to have to decide okay do i do option a or do i do option b or do i do option c which may not even happen that's um there's a lot of moving parts and um the end result is i think you know really you know really a pretty good idea in in general um, of what could happen if teams made specific moves. Well, and there's, and there's a piece to it that, uh, you know, learning to the sim that I never really maybe considered is like, let's uh, Brandon belts. A good example. I was trying to find a left-handed bat for, for depth early on and didn't end up needing it because of some things that happened for the white Sox. But I made an offer to Brandon belt early on after, by the way, two, elite seasons with the stick um, in San Francisco, trying to find some left-handed, you know, pop in my lineup. And after some things happened, I withdrew that offer and he ends up signing for like a, a, a one year and nine mil. I was shocked that like nobody else is offering him any kind of money. Apparently also after I was able to get Starling Marte for three years and 75 million, there were teams who reached out to me like, how did, like, how did he go for that little, like nobody else is bidding for Starling Marte. Like as a GM, like I wonder how often Dayton Moore in the off season, you know, thought that maybe he wanted a guy and he didn't ever reach out because that guy seemed unaffordable, seemed unrealistic. And then that guy signs for very affordable price and Dayton Moore or any GM goes, Oh my gosh. Like you're telling me if I would have just picked up the phone because it's easy to say, well, you should contact all the free agents. Like there's hundreds of them. Like you can't, I mean, I guess you could call all of them, but you can't expect their agent to call you every single time, every single team makes another offer. So I can see it getting lost in the weeds. And 
if Starling Marte really does go for three and 75 and the Royals aren't in on it, I'm going to be so mad. That would be such a good deal for them. I would, I would absolutely love that. But anyway, um, it's just yeah, interesting would, the, the things you do kind of pick up on that maybe you don't ever think about a GM having to go through. I'll say Max has a really good job of that <clears throat> as the kind of GM slash agent for all the players is that um, the, the one of the, yeah, the guys that you don't even think to offer on that always go every single year. There's a guy like that. That's like, Oh wow. I forgot about him. Can't believe you have that. But he does a really good job of, of making it natural or kind of how the actual flow of this offseason will go. And I'll give an example of um, that. Uh, I was pursuing as the angel, I was pursuing Carlos Correa and it was probably, it was down to me and another team. I forget who actually ended up signing up. Uh, but um, he, he went for a gigantic amount of money and you can feel it kind of bidding against yourself really, or you can see max and he could just be BSing me. Those offers might not be there, but he actually will play up in a bit and he'll, he'll say, you know, so I'm just every, I'm upping it by 5 million every time. Like, all right, I'll do 380. All right, I'll do 370 or whatever, you know? So he gets a lot of that. And there's also a point where it's like, you know, I said, as I was trying to sign my backup plan was um, gosh, Oh, uh, Corey Seager and uh, Chris Bryant. I was like, okay, the bidding for Korea is going on now. I was like, Max, is there any amount of money that these two will sign right now? I'm not waiting for Korea. Korea. And he was like, no, um, we're going to wait for Korea to happen. It's Korea. Oh my gosh. Korea to, to sign. And so there's a lot of naturality in there where it's like, okay, this is actually how it's going to go. These dominoes have to fall. And you don't know if you're bidding against yourself um, because you know, you're not going to go ask all the other 29 folks or, Hey, you guys offering on, on them. Uh, and so I think there's a really good sense of reality there where you really, you just truly don't know if you're, you're getting taken. Right. Um, or if you're, you know, actually trying to one up someone else. And obviously in this, the, the Korea case, I was up, I was going against someone, but who knows with the Chris Bryan case, I might've just opened my opening offer and he got nowhere close, um, to what I offered. So Max, no, I'm really, I'm like, really glad to hear both of you say that because I think that's kind of the, one of the points I wanted to get at when I started this was that there is like exactly what you said, Alex There's like, it's easy to say like in February, well, this guy only signed for like two years, 16 million. Why did Dayton Moore sign that guy? It's, it's like, well, he needed to move on a guy. He wanted to have a guy signed by December and that guy wasn't willing to take 16 million in December and he waited till February. And that dynamic, I, I don't think really pops out to you until you kind of go through like this, something like this, where like there are big offers at the beginning. And, and as an agent, sometimes I miss out on jumping on an offer. Like there's an offer for, uh, first of all, I probably should have accepted the qualifying offer for Noah Syndergaard. Um, I think it'd be kind of foolish if he doesn't do that in real life. Um, but then if someone gave me a $20 million offer for one year that I was like, well, that's a pretty good deal. Uh, but I'll, I'll kind of wait it out for him. And of course, you know, he's kind of damaged goods at this point and no one else is willing to offer that much guaranteed money for him. Um, I was able to get a two-year deal out of the Mets for more guaranteed money, but less uh, per year, uh, but probably not what, you know, it was less than what he would have gotten under the qualifying offer. So kind of misplayed that, but that's kind of the dynamic that you get when you're actually negotiating with real people rather than making up, you know, oh, I can sign this free agent for X amount of money in theory. Um, so I, I'm glad to hear you say that, that, that's, uh, uh, that, that it kind of brought that element out because that's kind of what we're trying to get at is, trying to at least replicate some of the real world uh, negotiations that would take place in real life. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned that about Syndergaard. Cause that's, that's someone I was bidding on too. Right. Um, trying to get him and, you know, you and I went back forth a bit and that's what I was really, I was curious if you would have explained you did how that dynamic happened because I was offering on him and I go, okay, I, I could do 20 million. But then I was like, you know what? Like it's going to cost me a draft pick 
And, you know, you think that Syndergaard is a very valuable item, in my opinion. And if he was completely frictionless as a free agent and he had no draft pick compensation, what, you know, even with his injuries and all, he, I'm sure he would have gone for a lot more. Um, but it's the same thing where you said, well, someone's got it for 118. I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm basically giving him his qualifying offer and I'm just coughing up a draft pick for the right to do that. It's like, so it doesn't make sense to me. So that's where it made sense. He went back to the Mets ultimately, right? Um, but still, it's one of those where it's like, man, you know, you, you think these guys are great, but then it's like, you really have to work the dynamic of there is some reality here and that, you know, people aren't going to trip over themselves to cop off a pick to just pay Syndergaard the QO amount. It doesn't make any sense as not the Mets to do that. For the Mets, it makes sense. Everybody else makes no sense. Well, and going back to Bell too, like that Alex mentioned, like, you know, in theory, Brandon Belt is a pretty valuable player. Like he had a couple of really, he had a really good season. He's a, you know, he's a first baseman, but if there's not a market, if no team is looking for a first baseman and it seemed like no team was looking for a first baseman, Anthony Rizzo is also uh, a free agent and he got very little interest. I ended up kind of driving up, getting two teams to bid against each other to drive up the price a little bit, but he got three years, 33 million, which I think is far less than I think what people expect him to get in real life. Uh, but there's just no interest in first baseman if every team is satisfied with what they have at first base. And um, and I think, in my opinion, there's baseball's at a point where they probably need to expand. I think there are there's enough talent uh, at the major league level to that you know teams can find, feel like they can go out get go out and find a first baseman. So, uh, but you know that that also has a big factor uh, in the market as well. That that maybe sometimes fans don't always uh, factor in. Well, and uh, you know I don't mean to like say you got like ha got you, but I mean. Brandon Belt and the Sim ends up losing $30 million. Because uh, I think my first offer for Brandon Belt was 3 and 39 which yeah. is um, being more than Rizzo got is crazy. But Brandon Belt uh, was a 50% better than league average offensively the last two years. My first offer was 3 for 39 And like Max, like you said, is, yeah, we'll wait and see what else we get. I was like, okay. Well, by then I had moved on. So I came off Brandon Belt. He ends up getting one year $9 million or something. So it's not necessarily like everybody has stake in the real game. Like you want your roster to look as good as possible, but in real life, if Brandon belt gets advised to turn down three for 39 and signs for one and nine, Max, you're getting fired in, <laughs> in real life. If, you know, I go out there and give Starling Marte three for 75 and he's awful, I'm getting fired. Like those are the types of moves that get you fired. Those are the types of moves that end your career doing whatever it is you're doing. And so, you know, it does it does put a lot of stake in the game. And, I, and obviously, it's a sim, and Max is representing way more players than any agent would ever have to represent. Um, but and there's a reason I, I'm I not gotta an agent ask. <laughs> yeah, I got to ask now that you, um, now that now that this is all done, there was nobody bidding against me for Drew Smiley, right? Drew Smiley. There was a lot of like, so what happens with a lot of these guys is like Drew Smiley, like I get like eight, like four offers, a minor league deal. And then eight year eight offers that are like, hey, a one year deal for like two million. I'm like, yeah, that seems a little light for Drew Smiley. Uh, and then it, a lot of those, you know, it's hard to get back to everyone. So like, I'll you know circle back for some guys. Hey, you still interested in Drew Smiley? And they'll be like, eh, nah, I've actually moved on. Or uh, yeah, but not really any more than two million. So there was interest in Drew Smiley. I don't. Some it was tepid. It was tepid interest. I don't think you like dress. But what did you end up getting him for? I don't remember. Well, I offered you one for one and a half, and you sent me a message back saying, make it one for two mil plus incentives, and you got a deal. And yeah. I knew, like in my heart of hearts, I was like, nobody else put in a bid that's going to make $500,000 in incentives, like the pushover, 
But I was like, in the same token, like I'm not willing to risk being wrong over a guy who I think has some upside at that price. Like I'm, I am much more willing to give you the extra 500 K to bring you in than say, Oh, you're bluffing. You don't actually have that offer. And then, okay, now he pitches for the tigers instead. Like, it, like the, the idea that that can come down to $500,000. Like I found myself laughing at it, but at the same time, that's, it, there's probably real life situations where that happens. I mean, the Royals were what, $10,000 away from signing Ronald Acuna jr. Like, can you imagine now being Dayton Moore or, and, and I don't mean to like say that this is some necessarily David Glass either, but somebody had to decide, nope, that $10,000 is where we draw the line. And now you have to look at that billion dollar mistake every day. Like, like those are the types of moves that probably happen every single day. Yeah. And it's like Drew Smiley. I mean, I took that as that was like when you're in spring training and the kind of pitcher looks around and says, why am I not in camp yet? And so he's like, well, you know, I'll take, I'll take a look. Cause he had a lot of, he had a lot of offers that were like around 2 million. And then, and you were the one that was like, well, you're it's, it's spring training now. It was really late in the sand. I was like, I got to get him signed, bump it up a little bit, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you got to draw a line in the sand eventually. And uh, you know, I was surprised some of these like Chris Taylor went up to like $96 million. And I, you know, at one point I was like, guys, this is Chris Taylor, good player, but like I would have drawn the line like a lot lower than this. You guys keep, driving the price up. Um, but, and then some guys I'm really surprised don't get more interest uh, like, like Rizzo and belt. Uh, you say Kikuchi, I was surprised didn't get a little more interest than he got. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, the fan base also tends to skew, I think a little more uh, sabermetric. Now that, that gap's closed quite a bit in the last year. I remember one year when Ben Zobrist was <laughs> available in free agency like the bidding went to like 120 million just because, you know, he was a sabermetric darling uh, at the time. It's like, well, guys, you're kind of wiping out the the market inefficiency by paying 120 million for this guy. But uh, so anyway, it's just kind of interesting to see there's, which guys everyone kind of hones in on. There's always a little bit of, and, and to give people perspective as well, there's a little bit of, it's kind of funny money for the most part, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's not real. And it, there's a lot of runaway valuations um, as you might call it. Do you remember what Bryce Harper went for Max? In, oh you know, man, I don't know. I don't that's our that. prime example. Of, Ten million was yeah, it? It was, it was over four hundred million. I, I okay. I wasn't sure if it was four or five, but that's where it gets to, right? It's like okay, you know, like who know if Mike Trout was ever available, like in our sim, he would go for an average. I mean, you know, he would go for an average amount of money. So there is a bit of funny money to it. I don't know if Correa is going to get whatever he got 10, 375 or three. I can see him getting that. that was, I thought actually he'd go higher in ours. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I paid a bunch for seeker, Corey seeker, and he's probably not going to get what I paid for him, but it's like, you know, it's kind of, it's not real. And you have to take it. I would say lop off 20%. And that's probably what the person's going to actually go for. Uh, but it's, you know, it gives a good starting point of valuation stuff. Like you said, with Zobris, it, it showed how valuable he was that he was kept getting bit up. Now he became overvalued, uh, but he, you know, he showed he had value and that's, it's a good example or a good prime way to hone in. And, and by well, the way, I think also with funny money, like, like, you know, you talk about the friction of, of trading players. Like there's way more trades. Yeah. yeah. Like some teams look like just totally overhaul the rosters. And like in real life, you probably don't do that. If you have to actually, you know, call a guy on the phone and say, oh, we're going to trade you a guy that you are, you know, I've drafted since he was 18 years old and have known and developed, like, you don't do that usually in real life. So there's more trend, you know, you were able to offload Anthony Rendon's I'd contract say, yeah, Rendon. and with $28 million, like, there would be so many hoops for that to jump through to, to actually yeah. happen in real life. You like 
probably it's kind of a little far-fetched you know it could happen it happens sometimes but um it's it's a little easier to do when we're dealing with uh, the abstract well and i, I want to say like Somebody might say, oh, my gosh, somebody gave Bryce Harper $410 million. That totally, you know, delegitimizes the process. Like, Bryce Harper's about to win MVP, potentially. Like, are we really – like, he? no, there may not be an owner that's going to actually give him 410 but we can kind of look back and go, "Eh, maybe somebody should have because the dude's going to win the MVP. He's still 26 or 27 years old. Like, he is one of the five best assets in baseball – one of the five best assets in baseball is probably worth $400 million. Like I know it's not my money and I'm not, I won't ever have $400 million to have to worry about giving to a baseball player, but it's like, man, like if you don't think you can recoup that value in some capacity, like you're wrong. Like he is that good. And so like, I know it sounds funny, but whoever made that move was right because they got maybe the best free agent in the hit. Now I don't want to say the history of baseball, but like, is that, I mean, it's not the most ridiculous move that anybody ever made. You guys are way off. It was 13 5 15. I knew it was starting <laughs> over five. five. Yeah, I knew it was not 400. I was like, you got that's, yeah, he got 13 5 15. He went wasn't that from like Cleveland or something? The Yankees. Okay. Machado went for 11 433 um, to the Phillies. And then, oh, and then, of course, the, the Yankees just casually picked up Pat Corbin for $153 million too. So they spent, whatever you want to call that, uh, $668 million on two players. So All right. I, mean, I did go back one year, and I went to see, I evaluated what people spent in the sim versus yeah, what yeah. those players got in real life. And it was only off by, like, 5%. Now, that yeah. is, like, like, the bell curve is probably skewed. Like, the, the, guy, the, the guys at the top got way more. And some guys at the bottom got kind of hosed, like, you know, the branded belts of the world. But the overall amount of money we're not we're spending is not that much different than what owners are doing in real life, at least from that yeah. analysis. What'd you say? What did Kikuchi get this year? Do you anybody remember? 330, three for 30, I think. Man, and he got, and I'm looking at it because this year, the same year of the Harper and Machado, he got 65 million. So he's done pretty well on our sim. He's made 100 million <laughs> in his career. In yeah, but sim. I think he had a player option that he turned down for like 14 million. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he didn't, I, I screwed him over. So that's my bad. I want to go back really quick. I may not defend 500 and some odd million dollars, but I do think at 410 million, Bryce Harper would still be like oh, yeah. giving yeah, you yeah. surplus value. So um, I do want to keep, I want, I want to get back to Matthew for running the Royals. Matthew, look, really quick, let's jump to some of the moves that you made in this simulation. Cause I think that is reflective of how you maybe view the Royals and their timeline. It wouldn't be a true, SB Nation Sim, if you don't trade Whit Merrifield, <laughs> you were able to get back Keston Hira and Max Lazar. Keston Hira, one time, uh, top 25, top 40 prospect in baseball, um, play second base, really big hitter. I'm actually okay with that move. If you can get Keston Hira for Whit Merrifield in any capacity, I'm all in. Let's talk about the trade we made really quick, though, because you traded Angel Zerpa, who I think is probably – the Royals' most underrated, underknown, underappreciated prospect for Andrew Vaughn. Andrew Vaughn is a great hitter. I mentioned this earlier in the podcast. Matthew, I don't know if you had joined us yet. Yeah, but I had. You had? Okay. I think mm-hmm. it's a great move for both sides. The Royals get a hitter they need. The White Sox get a much-needed, controllable. I don't know that Angel Zerp is a top 100 pitching prospect. I, I think his advancement through the ranks this year removed that possibility for him. 
But let's say that he had done what he did in high A, went to double A as a 21-year-old, and just pitched there all year instead of being forced to the big leagues. I think with a good showing in 2022 in AAA, I really believe Angel Zerpa could have cracked the top 100 list. I really do believe he's that talented. And so I think as, as a White Sox GM, I got a pretty good arm for Andrew Vaughn. So let's talk about what you think of Angel Zerpa and what you think of the Royals pitching staff as a whole, because if you deal a guy like Zerpa, uh, two things. One, you think your depth is good enough to deal a kid like that. Or B, are you lower on Zerpa than maybe I am? Yeah, so I think um, I think you're kind of in the minority here as far as um, as far as opinions. I saw like a couple of people be like, like, what are the White Sox doing? Like, I had like multiple people who were like, uh, "This is weird. Why did they? You know, why did they offer Vaughn for so little?" Um, and I, I, so when it comes down to it, so I think that Vaughn is the type of player that the Royals, um, you know, really should be looking for and really should have been looking for over the last few years. Um, a guy who has upside, like legit upside. We're talking, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Ryan O'Hearn, if you're, if you're listening to this, not like Ryan O'Hearn upside, but like actual legit good, you know, good big leaguer upside. I think if you watch any of the playoffs, you kind of know the difference between like the type of players that playoff teams have and the type of players that the Royals have been running out there. And there's a, there's a huge gap between, you know, much of the rosters. Um, and Andrew Vaughn is just the kind of guy that you want to have. He, you know, made a jump from high A to the big leagues um, and he hit a little under league average, but, you know, he did that while playing a, you know, a new position. Um, he was okay in left field. Um, so I think Andrew Vaughn is, you know, the potential big bat that the Royals haven't really had you know, for a long time, you know, from at least from a homegrown perspective, um, at least since, you know, Eric Hosmer when he was good and Mike Moustakis when, you know, when he was hitting all those home runs. Um, and I, I think about Zerpa, I um, personally, I want to see, you know, performance um, in the upper minors before I truly, truly believe in a pitching prospect. Um, and in 2021, in 45.1 innings um, in double A, Zerpa's ERA was almost six and his um, FIP was 4.4, which, you know, that's, that's just not that great. Um, it's possible that he, you know, uh, continues to get better. And to your credit, he's, he's, he's really young. He just turned 22 um, in September. Um, so less than two months ago. So, you know, he's very young, um, but he has not shown, you know, the kind of upper minors performance that you honestly need to show. You know, I think when you, when you look back to, um, you know, this is kind of ancient history, but if you look back to, you know, 2011 and the Royals had their fab four lefties, right? You had Duffy um, and you had Montgomery um, and you had Dwyer and you had Lamb. There was only one of those guys who succeeded in the upper minors. The other three ran into all kinds of issues when they got to double A. And the guy who succeeded in the upper minors was Danny Duffy. And he was the only one of those guys who can, um, who went on to have, you know, a successful big league career as a starter, you know, Montgomery made it as a reliever, you know, pretty well, but um, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that I want to see. Um, and I, you know, there are, the Royals have a lot of depth that I think that in years past, maybe they would be relying on Zerpa to be really good. Um, but, you know, you, you got to show me the money at some point in the upper minors and Zerpa hasn't, you know, really done that. So, so maybe that's where, where a little different is. I don't think Vaughn is that type of bat. I, 
I think out of college I did. And then after seeing him in person and, and watching him more consistently, like, I think he's, I think he's good. I, I don't see the, and he may even border on game changing slash all-star caliber ish hitter. But I think he is so awful defensively that I think it actually really like he's one of those guys where the defense really can negate the value significantly, in my opinion. So so maybe that's where the divide was in the first place. And I hear you on Zerpa. I, I think if that's one thing that we can get out of this podcast for anybody still listening, if you aren't necessarily a believer in Hell Zerpa yet, I am begging you to because that kid, he is so good. I really believe he's going to be one of the Royals three or four best pitching prospects out of this whole deal. Like if Asa Lacey's better, I wouldn't be shocked. Alec Marsh is better. I wouldn't be shocked. But if you told me in three years on Zerpa had a better career than every one of the core four, except Daniel Lynch, it wouldn't surprise me really. Um, I really think that highly of him. And so I was maybe, maybe jaded, I guess, by my, um, you know, my, my distaste for Andrew Vaughn or just had my Royals colored glasses on for Zerpa, but to get Zerpa in that deal, I felt, um, you know, was really good on my end. And and maybe, you know, looking at it from your end again, would the Royals bring in a guy like Andrew Vaughn more generally their trade for Jorge Soler threw me through a loop so bad in 2017. I still don't understand that trade. I've never understood that trade specifically because of who they acquired um, it's not in the Royals' DNA to acquire a guy like Jorge Soler. So maybe they get a guy like Andrew Vaughn and they just live with the defense and, or make him a DH or whatever. But um, anyway, I thought that was interesting. I do want to talk about a couple other moves you made now that I've accidentally clicked out of the, the sheet of the moves that you did make. Um, you were able to acquire, reacquire, I should say, um, Will Smith, uh, the reliever from Atlanta by – getting rid of Andrew Benintendi's money. And then you traded Adalberto Mondesi for Victor Robles, which I think is fascinating. I actually think that's a really interesting, really plausible trade. Victor Robles is kind of like center field Adalberto Mondesi in some ways. Um, it's a fit for the Royals specifically. I think that's a really interesting type of move. Um, I do want to say, though, that I was one of the first people to – like try to point out that Juan Soto was probably going to be better than Victor Robles. Like when Juan Soto was like 19 years old. So I do like to throw that out there every time somebody brings up Victor Robles. And yes, I did bring up Victor Robles specifically so I can make that point. But anyway, um, were you more or less looking to get rid of Mondesi or add a guy like Robles? Uh, neither. I think, um, I think, uh, so what I was trying to do there. Um, and I'm interested, Max and Sean, to hear your thoughts on this um, because I, I was kind of waffling on it myself. Um, and just to you know, to get your thoughts on what what you would feel if the Royals did something like that. Now, my my um, thought process was the Royals have depth at middle field, and they do not have depth at center field. Um, you know, they have got Michael A. Taylor, who we all saw, you know, great defender, not a very good hitter. You know, he's north of thirty. Um, there's some downside there, um, not really any upside. And the Royals don't really have any, you know, center field prospects, you know, um, like anywhere in the system. I think that might be like their weakest position. You know, they're, they've got guys in the corners. Um, they've got, you know, some middle infielders, um, you know, um, who, who might be, you know, decent contributors, guys like, you know, Michael Massey or um, Eden. 
Um, but they don't really have any center fielders. And I thought, you know, in this situation, both teams aren't really, you know, happy with what they've gotten out of, out of their guys. And, um, you know, the, the change of scenery thing, you know, sometimes works. And I think that, you know, sending Mondesi to a national league team, um, and getting back a guy who, you know, is the type of player that the Royals, you know, would love to have. I just think it's, it's one of those trades that I wasn't trying to swindle the nationals. And I also wasn't trying to get rid of somebody. I, I genuinely thought that it would be a good swap of flawed assets um, the difference really is that Mondesi is better than Robles has been. Um, he's been more productive, um, and certainly better defensively and, um, on the base paths. Um, and we've seen, you know, him, him hit much better than Robles has, um, the downside, uh, to Mondesi obviously is that he's had way more of a problem being on the field than Robles has. Um, and, you know, that's kind of counterbalanced by the fact that Robles is younger than Montesi and the fact that Robles has another year of control. So I was not just thinking about 2022, but, you know, beyond. Um, and Montesi is going to be a free agent after 2023. Robles will still be on the team through 2025. So that was that was kind of the, the thing that I that I, um, you know, landed on is, you know, sure, it may come, come back to bite me, but the Royals have a, a couple of shortstops. They do not have a center fielder, and that's ultimately what I what I came down on. So, uh, Max, when you when you saw that trade come in, what did you think of it? No, I loved. It. Yeah, I, I think someone on our site had suggested at one point, and I thought it made a, a fair amount of sense. And I just for like the reasons you point out, Montesi doesn't really have a position here anymore. You could stick him in center field, I suppose. But Robles, um, I think, brings that extra year. A little more upside, I think, um, you know, and I know he's been terrible the last two years, but I think the Royals are kind of in a position where they can take gambles like on guys like that. And if he can kind of reclaim, he was a four win player his rookie year. If he can kind of reclaim that kind of value, then then you're, you've really solidified that center field position. So I, I thought it was a real, I love challenge trades like that. There was another challenge trade. It was like AJ Puck for Mackenzie Gore, which is a really fascinating trade of just like, you know, Terrific, promising, but but flawed prospects. Uh, and so I thought it was that kind of trade where both teams, I can kind of see it from both teams' point of view. Yeah, that was a good trade, the puck one. I remember seeing that come across. Um, that was like, oh, okay, that's good. That's, that was kind of a, not quite um, Rafael Montero. Not Rafael Montero. Uh, oh, my gosh. Oh, who is the Mariner? Pineda, who did Pineda get traded for? Dang it. Um, oh, Jesus, Jesus Montero. Jesus Montero, not Rafael Montero. Jesus Montero. That's what that was kind of like, but not quite both. I was like, I don't know, man. I hate to break your heart, but Robles just stinks, man. Uh, I, <laughs> I'll i say it. He stinks. Um, terrible exit velocity stuff. Uh, I don't know. Uh, he, I get, I get the thought and I, I can't hate the thought. I think you're, I think you're on a good path with that thought, but I just think he stinks. I think I, I think he'd have been better off waiting for the nationals at DFA him in a year and picking him up for nothing. Um, but you know, I get your thought. I want to say that at least, but he stinks. Yeah. And I, I, I thought that too, you know, I, I, you know, looked at, uh, took a second look at his stat cast data and initially, so behind the scenes thing, it was initially going to be like Mondesi plus other players for, for rules. And I was just like, you know, I, I don't think he's, you know, I, I'm not going to trade Mondesi plus, you know, John Heasley for, you know, for him. I, I don't, I don't think he's worth that. So 
Yeah, I so I, I eventually held my ground. I was like, you know, Mondesi for Robles straight up. That's what I'm given. And mm-hmm. the Washington ran in to get more out of me. But that was just the best offer that they had for. And there was a lot of value in acquiring those kind of post-high prospects, right? You even see like the Chiefs a little bit with Veach has a pretty good, um, I don't know, I, I take back the word good, but he has a track record. I don't know if it's good or bad, but he's a track record of, of acquiring first round picks or former first round picks at least. Um, and there was some, definitely some serious value in finding these post-high prospects that have failed. But they were top 10, top 20, top 30 prospects. Uh, Profar will always be the example of this. And he's been fine in San Diego. Um, but And he was fine in Oakland. Um, but that's the thing is, yeah, there are there is a good value, in my opinion, of trying to turn these post-high prospects into um, something, right? Particularly when you can get them for nothing, right? Um, like the A's did with Profar, or very little. I have enjoyed... A, the hell out of the simulation. Like I said, Max, that is one of my favorite things we do in the offseason. It's just, A, the communication, the camaraderie is cool because mm-hmm. it's anytime you can get <clears throat> 31 people together to do anything productive is fun. Um, but not only that, but the, the conversation is fun and, and the way that we can think through baseball, think through the moves and and kind of appreciate more of a GM's job and, and even like the agent's job is sometimes I – you know, there's that rumor that Jorge Soler's camp turned down an extension from the Royals, which, you know, he may have saved himself from this postseason. But, um, you know, early on, that looked like a really big mistake. So sometimes the agents and the players make the mistakes, too. So the offseason is underway, assuming I said and I shouldn't assume this, but if there's no labor disputes, no labor disagreements, we should have our winter meetings coming up in about a month, along with things like the Rule 5 draft and. You know, we've already seen uh, teams make trades. Tucker Barnhart went from Cincinnati to Detroit. So the offseason is in full swing. I want to end the show tonight with a bold prediction little roundtable, just really quick. Um, You don't have to evaluate on it. It doesn't have to be too serious. Let's give one bold prediction. My bold prediction, and I know Max is, you're running something similar to this tomorrow morning. Um. Let me go look that article up real quick while he's running there. I want to steal his con. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) My my bold prediction for the offseason is that Corey Seager uh, shocks the world and goes and signs with the New York Yankees and joins the Bronx Bombers and is their starting shortstop. Um, So I'm kind of curious if you guys have any other conspiracy theories or bold predictions for the MLB offseason. I think there's, um, you know, a lot of different places where Zach Greinke could end up. Um, but I don't know if this how bold this is, but I, I think he is going to end up with one of the three teams he has played before um, with. He's either going to sign with the Brewers, he's going to sign with Dodgers, or he's going to sign with the Angels. I don't think he's going to go anywhere else. Um, it'll be You're fascinating. The, well, I know, I know I'm, I'm, I'm missing multiple teams, but yeah, um, true. yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, he's not going to go back to Diamondbacks. I don't think the Royals are going to get him. Um, but, you know, I, there are certainly other suitors who could who could get him. But I, I, I don't know. I think maybe my bold prediction is that the Angels are going to go and get cranky because they certainly need the pitching. You know, I just wanted to add something on Grinky real quick. Um, yeah, he's not going to go back to the Royals. But, Max, you probably you probably can think of an example. Has there been a Hall of Famer? And I think Grinky's probably a Hall of Famer or very, very close to being one. That's played with – you, Matt, Matt, you listed off a bunch of teams that go, oh, yeah, he did play for the Brewers. Oh, yeah, he did play for the Diamondbacks. Oh, yeah, he did play for that. Uh, I'm sure, like, Vlad Guerrero did that. I mean, he played for a bunch. I'm just thinking of, you know, he's he's been pretty well-traveled for a Hall of Famer, you know? 
Yeah, look at Gaylord Perry's baseball. Yeah, yeah, page. no, you're right. He pitched yeah, for yeah. like seven different teams at the end. Yeah. Steve Carlton pitched for like five different teams at the end. Like, yeah, you know, once you kind of lose your prime, that you is true. Start bouncing around, but, but he was uh, yeah, but Greg is he was on a lot of teams. Even yeah, the, but I guess Greg is. What's that? Even in his prime, he was on a lot of teams. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're right. Greg is different in that he in his prime was with. I mean, he was like those other guys pitch for I mean, Gaylord Perry kind of bounced around a little bit, but. Uh, you know, there's no one team you associate Granky with necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think if he if he gets into Cooperstown, he's not going to have a, any logo. I don't think on his cap, he'll be one mm-hmm. of those maybe Chipotle, cap, you know, cap or something like that. But you know, he's not going to. I don't think anyone associates with, with, with the Royals or the Dodgers or really any team. Yeah, I think we're calling. You know, and this isn't necessarily to ask Alex, but you know, there was a tweet today about how um, the it was, I, I'm going to get the verbiage wrong, but it was something like, this is the worst they've ever seen it. When they were talking about CBA negotiations, you guys might know what the tweet I was talking about, but someone mentioned that they're just gone really terribly. Um, you know, God forbid that that would stink, but I'm, I would not be shocked that we have a labor uh, stoppage or, or, you know, we're going to be in April or late March and not have games quite yet on the horizon. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit last week, but um yeah, there's definitely gonna be a work stoppage in December. I think everyone's yeah. kind of counting on that. Whether or not it gets into the season, I still think they'll wrap it up by March. By you know maybe the first couple of weeks of spring training's canceled, they bump the season a week back. But I mean, the, I saw that tweet today too. And look, the reporters are closer to that. They're getting fed stuff from the oh, like from one the owners. Side. Are, the owners wanted to seem bad. Like oh, look how bad things are. You know, those players. You know, they're they're being they're being tough and and. Uh, you know, things aren't going well. So I, I don't know. I don't know how much to believe that. Um, but uh, yeah, there, there's going to be some, some work stoppage and there's going to, which means transactions will get frozen for like a month or two, which is going to And I mean, that has a significant ripple. I mean, if you've yeah, got, yeah. I mean, cause the pipe, the, the funnel doesn't just open immediately. Right. I mean, you theoretically, and I'm not even sure what the legality of it is, but I'm not even sure if during a work stoppage or freeze agents and teams can exchange offers between each other necessarily um so I'm, i mean there could be like no tampering so that's what i'm thinking of like okay yeah. if there is a work stoppage i mean that will have ripple effects onto free agency um on you'll have to restart creations guys could you know be delayed longer particularly those tail end free agents like we talk about the drew smileys where it's like you know oh gosh it's march 15th and i don't have a team yet you know hey they could be june signings um like we've seen in the past with some guys that you know had qualifying offers attached to them but in the same vein of you know who knows? It could, I mean, we think, we think, oh, we've come to agreement. Everything's good now, but there's still continuous ripples that happen after these things. Yeah. You guys are probably too young to remember 1995, but like, as soon as like the injunction to stop and the work stoppage, like there was just a feeding frenzy, like teams signed guys, teams trade. Like there was a two week period where they were like, like the Royals traded Brian McRae one day and then David Cohn the next. And then, you know, teams just like everyone just had to go sign guys in like a short window, which is mm-hmm. kind of exciting. It's what the NFL does every year. Yeah. So. Max, did you have a bold prediction for the offseason? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't have a bold prediction necessarily other than I think you're going to see some teams that aren't your traditional Yankees and Red Sox making some big plays on big free agents. Like the Mariners, I think, are poised to make a big move. I think they could get one of the big shortstops like – Trevor Story or, or Carlos Correa even, or uh, Corey Seager. I think the Tigers are poised to make a big move. Um, I think the Marlins could actually sign a guy, uh, a pretty significant free agent. I think they've kind of been lurking out there. They made some progress the last two years. Uh, I, whether that's <laughs> sustainable, you know, they may trade the guy two years from now, but I think they can make a big move. The Rangers, there's a report they're going to up their payroll by $100 million or so. 
Um, they could make a couple big transactions. Uh, maybe a guy like Chris Bryant could be on their radar. A couple pitchers, I'm sure they could use some pitching. So you can see some different teams now. The work stoppage could throw a wrench into all of that. Um, and we don't know what the rule is going to be if they do come to a labor deal. So, uh, But I think you're going to see some different teams. And the Mets and the Red Sox may be more handicapped. The Dodgers may not want to make a lot of moves this offseason. So uh, you'll see some different teams, I think, active in free agency. Yeah, but will the Padres win the offseason for the second year in a row or the third year in a row? Or, or you know, they concede that to someone else. If they trade Eric Cosmer, they've won the, the offseason. Yeah. I don't think yeah. they'll be able to. But if they, the if Padres they traded them into Sim, uh, hey. which I thought was impossible. They yeah. tried to offload him, him off the, onto me. They're like, hey, you want a reunion? I was like, no. <laughs> I, I will say that as soon as Max said, Max asked me that one, and I said, I'll take the Angels. The very first thing he said was like, you cannot trade Mike Trout. I was like, yeah, I know. I know. It was like, we're not like, we need to have some realism. They're not right. going to trade Trout. And I was like, okay, I will not. And some people in one of the comments, like, how come Trout didn't get traded? It's like, listen, I'm not, I'm this God. I am going to bless him with a playoff game, a one playoff win in his life. And so It'd be interesting to see on. what you could get though. I wonder what the offer would be. Yeah. Yeah. The, so I was actually talking to a buddy and, and it's one of those like classic locker room, like, what would Patrick Mahomes be worth on like the trade market? And I think to compare Mahomes to Trout would be fair. Now, baseball to football isn't super fair because a first round pick in football is way more valuable than a first round pick in baseball. And acquiring a guy like Mahomes skews that first round pick you're sending back, where in baseball, not necessary, right? So there's a lot of issues with the sports, but in terms of the player and the money and the what they mean to a team. I think it's fair to talk about, and and we talk about trading a guy like Mike Trout. Like, I don't even like if you could trade draft picks, it would help. I don't even know where you start. Like, because yeah. if you're who has the best farm system in baseball, probably the Rays. Yeah, I mean, if you include Wander Franco in that, so if you include Wander Franco in that trade, like that helps. Like, that's probably the best place to start. Maybe a healthy Acuna Junior. But like, if you don't have Tatis, Acuna, Franco, Soto. Can you even like be in the discussion? Like, can the Royals, like, if the Royals put together every valuable asset they had, including Bobby Witt Jr., do they even enter the door? Like, it is such a crazy, like, thing to try to wrap your head around that I don't even know how you can put a number on it because of all the other positions you would need to fill on a baseball field. It's just, it is insane to think about like what the trade value for a Mike Trout would be. One thing I will say is that typically, and and this goes for, I think, every sport, um, when a superstar gets traded, it's usually pennies on the dollar. Like, A-Rod got traded for, like, Alfonso Sariano, who was a good player, but not nearly the player. Like, in the NBA, like, LeBron James, you know, those kind of players, those those kind of players, they get traded for, like, a draft pick and, like, a couple bad, you know, they don't, it's not, it's not, uh, you don't get equivalent value for a guy like that. So, if, if you were to, I think you're right. Like, it would have to be, like, Bobby Witt Jr., the MJ Melendez, Nick Prado, and a pitcher, you know. Uh, but in real life, like if they did tra- ever tra- trade Trout, a his contract is only only a couple teams can can take on that contract, and b uh, the, the what they can offer is just not it's kind of not going to be comparable anyway. So with a limited market, you're probably going to get pennies on the dollar. 
Yeah, there's a fundamental disconnect between what a, a player's actual value is when you're on the upper end, uh, what their what their actual value is, their their transactional value, and what their fundamental value is, and they're very large disconnect. And you see it in free agency too. Um, Dan Zimborski once said that free agency is not where you go for value. There's no value on the free agent market, it, particularly on the upper end, right? Signing Correa for three seven hundred three hundred and seventy five million dollars is not good value. You're you're not you're not gaining five ten war in surplus on that, you're probably coming pretty close to break even, right? It's the same thing when you're trading for a guy like Trout or Mahomes or Lamar Jackson, um, you know, youngest MVP, blah, blah, blah. I don't need to go on about Lamar Jackson. We all know he's great. Uh, I'm a Ravens fan as well. Anyways. Uh, and so when you're, when you're trading for these really great players, it's just, no, you, you can't, if you're the team losing this player, you're just not going to get, you're going to break even at best, which is not what you do. You don't go trade Mike Trout, Patrick Mahomes just to break even, right? You try to actually, you know, screw the other team over. And so there's just a, a fundamental disconnect between that transactional value and their like true economic value. All right, guys, I appreciate you joining me tonight. Um, that was fun. And Max, again, I can't thank you enough for putting that SIM together. That is, truly um a joy of the off season i do want to really quickly if you're listening to this it's 9 30 p.m so if you're listening to this it's probably thursday which is veterans day i want to wish a happy veterans day out there to all of our service members um that are listening to this podcast thank you very much for the sacrifices you have made uh both for us your family and our country thank you happy veterans day thank you for listening thank you to everybody out there for listening uh we appreciate you we will have more off-season content either weekly or maybe sometimes bi-weekly depending on the you know how slow things get if the if the there's a work stoppage we'll do an impromptu podcast if we have to if the royals go do something uh significant uh, we'll be around keep checking back in Joel and I on this channel have our Royals Farm Report podcast we're doing so there'll be content for you just keep checking back in we appreciate you guys listening we appreciate your support And we'll see you all again very, very soon.